10 years, do I want to wake up and still be doing this? And the answer was no. Now I ask that, must ask that all the time, you know, if, if I'm going to start any project, I think, hey, in five years, if I wake up on a winter morning and it's raining and it's cold like it is today, will I still want to be doing this? We are right at the cusp of something huge. We are at a crossroads and the future is completely within our control. We're living through the single biggest culture shift of our time. This is the time for us to just really take charge. That's what revolutions do. They enable the impossible. What does it take to become a top writer on Medium? Today we're talking with John Westenberg, an individual writer who has amassed more than 47,000 followers on the platform. In fact, his content gets about 300,000 views in a single month. By any measure, John is a success story on Medium, but he's also had his fair share of knocks. Today we get to talk with John about his failures, his successes, and what he's planning on doing next. I'm Megan Keeney-Anderson, and this is The Gross Show. I want to start off with a um, very basic question, which is that you have amassed just about 47,000 followers on Medium. Why Medium as an outlet? Sure. I mean, I got on Medium um, pretty much day one when it launched, and part of what appealed to me back then was the really simple interface. You know, it was just a great way to go from idea to finished blog post in a short space of time without worrying too much about the infrastructure that you were building around it. And the other thing that really appealed to me was the built-in audience. People were coming to Medium just to find things to read that they would love. You know, that's an audience that you can't get in a whole lot of other places. Medium is the only platform I can think of where people actually come to read, not just share and curate. Um, so when you think about your own repertoire, your own history of writing, is there a particular piece that you're most proud of? I think so, yeah. There's a piece called It's Sad When Someone You Know Becomes Someone You Knew. Um, I'm, I'm really proud of that one because it's a very personal piece for me. It talks about the way that I interact with people on a one-on-one basis and how I often just sort of leave people behind as I move on in my life and you know, dealing with that kind of approach to people. And it's it's out of the usual for me, so it's not my normal kind of not my normal space. But I really enjoyed writing it, and I thought it was great to put a very personal part of me out there. So break that down for me a little bit more, because you are talking about something that's incredibly personal to you. Tell me about yeah. you know the moment when you're sitting down to write that piece. What goes through your head? Why do you decide to take that route? Mm. So when I'm writing a really personal post, it feels terrifying. The actual writing process is just very scary because you know that you're stripping away like your outer layers and you're really showing people what's inside. And that's you know, that's very intimidating to do. So when, I, when I'm writing a post which is more on that personal topic, it's kind of tough to get through it and get to the finish line and not go back and edit out the stuff that makes it so vulnerable and so personal. But at the, at the same time, like, you do find that the more you can show of who you really are, the more people react in a really positive way. Like Readers enjoy seeing vulnerability, and they, they want to be drawn more into you as a writer. So you know, showing some more personal stuff can be really helpful. Why do you think it was that Medium became the platform that you did that on? Uh, and why, I mean, you've been a writer for years and years. This isn't your first mm. rodeo, as they say. Why did mm. it take so long to write that very personal piece? I think it was partly because um, I never decided to just go for it before. In, when, when Medium sort of came up as a platform, 
that was when I said, all right, well, I'm going to really focus on this for the next few years and make this my platform, no matter what it takes. So it wasn't so much um, the medium itself drew it out of me as my decision to make medium my, my sole blogging platform really drew it. So, okay, so you sit down, you write this piece about when people you know become mm. people you knew. Um, you press publish on that and you're just waiting for the comments to come in. Can you describe for me a little bit about how that felt and, and what the first pieces of feedback were that you got? Sure. So I actually did something um, a little bit more unusual. When I, when I publish a post like that, I go and block Medium on my laptop for the next um, four to five hours. You do. So that I can't actually go and visit it um, just to stop myself from being tied to watching how the piece goes. So I don't obsess over it. So I'll, I'll use a, a Chrome extension to actually block the site for four hours. For four hours, and that's that's the yeah. zero the time you zeroed in on. Yes, I mean after that, I'll go back and I'll start looking and see how the post is going. But in that four hours, if I if it's not doing well, I'm in danger of going back and re-editing and changing it and trying to make it better. But I want to just sign off on a post and say there, that's done. I'm not going to touch it. People just enjoy it and see what you think of it. Has that always been the case, or was there a single piece that made you decide I have to put this moratorium in there and stop for four hours? It wasn't a single piece, but it was definitely um, – I had a bit of negative feedback towards the start of this year. There were a whole bunch of think pieces published about my work, and some people were pretty negative about what I did. And so I started just blocking the website for a little while if I was feeling like I didn't want to deal with the negativity. And then it turned into, all right, well, if I can block the website to get rid of negativity, can I block it to stop myself from panicking about how well my blog posts are doing? Nice. So do you remember that first – nasty comment that you got? Certainly not, not the, the first, but the, the one that got the most traction was a blog post called um, oh, something like The Problem with John Westenberg and Other Blowhards Like Him. Oh, that's hard something to like hear. That. Yeah, that was pretty Name hard. and title. God, so what's that moment like? You see that pop up in your news feed. You see it starting to get some traction. Do you immediately have to go and respond? Do you try no, to... So, um, yeah, so back then I was still getting email notifications from Medium if people mentioned me, which I turned off after that article. Um, and so I got that email while I was at dinner with my girlfriend, and we were sitting there and we read the post together. And we, we just kind of froze and were like, why would somebody take that much time to write such a vitriol-filled post? You know, And it didn't make sense to me at the time. And I wanted to respond, but I knew that if I just bashed out a quick response, it would come across very angry and very bitter and very you know, just full of rage. So I left it for about 24 hours before I wrote a response. And in that meantime, more people are reading it and more people are commenting on it and it's still kind of growing. That takes a tremendous amount of discipline. In general, do you find that commenters on Medium are um, more or less civil than elsewhere on the internet? I think they're more civil. Like There are more positive people on Medium. But there's also this kind of subculture on Medium of people who feel that it should be a platform for quote-unquote real writers, and they, they don't want to see bloggers on there. They want to see you know, literary authors. And they get very angry when they see people blogging on Medium. I'm not really sure why, but they, they do. And these are the people who will send you threatening emails. Who will, like I had one guy threaten to cut off my arm so I couldn't write my my crappy blog posts anymore. Um, Seriously. And you, you, do get, you do get people like that from time to time. That's unbelievable. I mean, yeah. does that 
dampen the the kind of value that you get out of medium at all i mean are you do you ever sort of evaluate whether it's worth it not so much but i have stopped reading the comments on my blog posts because of comments like that so i kind of you know, made a um, a bit of a, a judgment i was like well you know, the nice feelings I'll get from reading nice comments and the cool ideas I'll get from people who want to discuss my work, for me, they just don't outweigh the negativity and the emotional slump that comes from getting abuse online. So I don't read comments anymore if I can help it. And I mean, there have been writers who have been driven off medium by people being really awful to them in the comments section. Several times it's happened. Do you think the internet will ever figure out comments? Because I feel like we go through this cycle all the time on, on news mm. sites and medium and bloggers will, will always get to this point where they're just like, enough, no more commenting, or they'll, they'll shut off their comment fe- functionality, or they'll do what you do, or, which is just sort of filter it out for your own sanity's sake. You know, is commenting just broken on the internet? Yes, I think it is. I think um, commenting is it's a great idea, and it's great to have that kind of dialogue with your readers. But it's this, this scorched earth thing where there's just so much awfulness and there are so many crappy people on the internet that it just ruins it for everyone else. And it's just, yeah, it's not worth the stress and, and the problems. And I just, I just don't think there's any way to make commenting work because no matter what you do, there's always going to be someone who hates your work, you know, someone who hates you. And there's no way to get around that. But in general, if I like something on Medium, I will hunt down an email address or I'll find them on Twitter, and that's how I'll let them know that I enjoyed them. Uh, so let's actually talk a little bit about, you have been doing this for a while. Uh, mm. How much of your success on Medium do you think came about because you were early? You, you kind of caught the wave as it was taking shape. Do you think if you mm. had started on Medium at a later date, you would have been as successful? I, I wasn't necessarily as early on Medium as it sounds like. Well, I had a profile sort of day one, but I was publishing pretty sporadically. I only really started building this level of traction about a year and a half, two years ago. So that, it's not necessarily a whole bunch of traction just from being an early adopter. I think Medium is still a great place to go if you want to start a blogging career. Um, as long as you're, you're happy to put a really, really long amount of time into it, as long as you're happy to do it for a few years, it's a great platform, and you don't have to have been an early adopter to make it work. So it's not oversaturated. There's not too many people on there already for you to stand out. I don't out. think so, no. One of the things that I think is really interesting is it is a new platform to discover, and I kind of want to unpack Medium as a channel um, for both individuals and businesses and figure out what it is that uh, makes some content do really well on, on Medium and makes other content fall flat. Uh, one of the things that... I've, that anyone will notice about your writing is that you're very dedicated, you're prolific, right? So you write, you know, every day, basically. Uh, do you think writing a lot is essential for medium success? Not necessarily writing a lot, but certainly writing regularly. People want to know that if they go on medium, they can see a new post from you on a certain day. I publish two blog posts every day because I'm an obsessive freak. Two <laughs> Most people aren't like that. Um, most people will be happy publishing once a week, and that's fine. But it's not so much the volume as the the regularity of it. Um, when it comes to titles, do you find that there's, you know, that the more kind of poetic title works better? Is there a certain trick to the types of titles that you think do well? Yeah, I mean, it's the same as most other content types. If you have a 
how to do X or a 30 ways to do X or a here's why I do X kind of blog post, then you're going to get a whole lot more traffic and you're going to get more clicks. Sure. I don't really use those blog post topics because I don't like them, mm-hmm. generally speaking. You know, I just You go through some writer's profiles and all their titles are like that. Seven ways to do this, ten ways to do that, and it's it's very depressing to see. There's not much originality there, I guess. So I kind of, I guess I sacrifice what would be a whole lot more traffic in terms of just pure clicks, just because I don't want to have those kind of topics. I'd rather have things that, that I want to write. I'd rather have headlines that I want to read. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, let's say tomorrow you wake up or the next week you wake up and everything's pretty much flattened out in terms of your readership <laughs> and you get stuck in a bit of a plateau. You're not growing at the same rate as you were before. What's something you would do facing a plateau to kickstart growth again? Sure. So I kind of have a bit of an emergency plan in case that happens. Um, the first thing is to look for the next platform. If things plateau, it can often mean that the social platform you're using is plateauing. So, you know, you look to what, what next medium, the next channel is going to be. For me, that that could be Snapchat will be a, like a really huge thing. So I'm investing a lot of time into Snapchat at the moment. Um, but you also kind of look at if my, if my traffic flatlines, who can I partner with to improve it? So that's something that I do a lot is I'll constantly look for people who have built a brand and who have built a really good audience and try to find like a synergy between us where I can hook into that audience and give them some value too, which means that I'm always exposing myself to like huge new demographics as often as I can. Got it. And so, all right, so you're always keeping an eye on platforms outside of the one that you're currently dedicating a lot of your time to to see which ones are gaining traction what happens when you cross platforms into a new area like Snapchat? Is there Are there strategies in the way that you tell a story that maintain consistent, or is it you're really discovering an entirely different way of storytelling each time? Yeah, it's a very different way of storytelling. So on Snapchat, I'll often, um, well, I guess, post about the same topic that I've written a blog post about that day, but I'll turn it into a you know five Snapchat video summary. So it's, it's a whole lot shorter. It's a whole lot easier to consume. And I'll use a lot of the same phrases and a lot of, a lot of the same content, but it's putting it into that really personal kind of format where I'm really talking to people directly. And so as you've been learning Snapchat, are there things that have stood out to you as something that's really unique to that platform that works there that doesn't work elsewhere? Yeah, I mean, it, it's just, it's far more personal and vulnerable than anything else I've been on because you don't get a whole lot of chances to hide the things you want to hide or to curate your life on Snapchat. And I think that's really different from anything else because if you want to make yourself look really good on Instagram, you'll go and, you know, you'll use Photoshop and Illustrator and create these beautifully designed posts and they look very professional. But even the biggest professionals on Snapchat still look like normal people. So to me, that's actually a commonality between Medium and Snapchat. You've, you've mentioned a couple times this idea of being vulnerable and blending mm. the personal and professional. Uh, and that, to me, seems very similar. Do you think that, mm. uh, you know, that channels and content strategies in general are starting to get a little bit more blurred when it comes to you know, where they get traction? I think people are getting less frightened about showing who they really are online. And that's something I kind of like. I mean, 
even just the you know the whole clean eating thing they do on Instagram, that's kind of being supplanted right now by people who have started posting pictures of donuts they're eating and burgers they're eating and stuff because people are getting sick and tired of seeing these really perfect lives. And so I think on every single platform we're seeing a move towards you know, more vulnerability and more personability. So I've heard uh, I've heard Medium called the BuzzFeed of business, which I think you kind of hit upon <laughs> a, a little bit ago uh, because of kind of the, the title hacking that we were talking about. I've mm. also heard it called the world's largest self-help book because so many mm. of the topics focus on the personal and focus on overcoming limitations or self-improvement. Does that feel like a fair assessment to you when you look at the cross-section of writing that's on there? In some ways. Um, look, I, I kind of see Medium as just being a microcosm of the entire universe of blogging. And when you look at, at blogging as a whole, there is a lot more self-help than anything else, and there's a lot more tech than anything else. And then and the, the, these, these topics and areas are pretty much reflected in Medium on a smaller scale. So I think if there's, if there's one area which is huge elsewhere, it'll be huge on Medium too. Moving into kind of, kind of extending on that, a lot of what you've written about has really focused around this idea of failure. Uh, and I know that you're starting to compile some of those thoughts into a book within you know, the next year or so that you want to put out. Can, why are you so fascinated with that topic in particular? Sure. Um, put it this way, failing is the one thing I'm really good at. <laughs> um, I've failed a lot in my life. I've done a lot of different things, tried a lot of different things, and seen some pretty big dreams fall away. And you know, through, through all that, I've kind of got this idea that failure is awesome. Failure is good. You learn from it and you pick yourself up and you dust yourself off and you keep on moving. I mean, I've dropped out of law school. I've had a record deal that I've lost. I've had companies go bust. I had one co-founder steal around 50,000 bucks from me. Like it's just, you have all these different failures. And for a lot of people, you think, okay, maybe those failures will be the end of the line. Like they just throw their hands up and give up. But if you can just move past them, there's always something you can you can gain from them. There's always something that can stop you from making another huge failure again. I'd love to hear a little bit more about one of those stories. So your co-founder or um, any particular time that you feel like you've you've failed or you've missed the mark. Yeah, sure. So um, my first business I ever started was a music management company. Um, and we were managing a lot of bands, a lot of artists, um, a lot of fashion models, that kind of thing. And there's one there's one time I um I went off overseas to to manage a tour of one of our acts and when I flew in a few weeks later uh, when when the plane landed I turned my phone on and I was just getting text and email and text and email from all these people saying where's our money where's our money and I kind of had this this awful sick moment of realization that my co-founder had taken most of the money that the business had that was supposed to have been paid to artists. And had tried to make off with it. Wow. And I was I spent days trying to sort out what had happened and where it had all gone wrong. And I ended up with a lot of debt myself that I had to pay off as a result of that. Um, he ended up going to jail, actually, for that and a few other things. And it was just this really terrible feeling like I had not only failed myself, but I'd failed all these people who relied on me. Yeah. And that was awful. So how, in that moment, and that's a really intense example of one, I would imagine there's a lot of panic that comes with that first realization of failure, right? So how do Huge you panic? Yeah, like how do you separate out the panic 
from the task at hand in terms of figuring out how to pivot back from that failure. And this is going to sound a little bit weird, but I make a spreadsheet. As soon as something happens that I have to deal with, something big, any kind of task or failure or disaster, I make a spreadsheet of everything that has to happen and every single task that I can think of that must be done. And I make everything red. And then as soon as I started working on a task, I change to orange. When a task is done, it goes to green. And that's how I get through the really tough stuff. It's really interesting that you take something that is so personally jarring and so kind of emotional mm. and bring it into the world of cells. Um, it's I, almost like it, you're yeah, stripping out the... Because it depersonalizes it. Do you think, you know, kind of digging back into that one example, because that is such a strong one, would you say that you're, you know, from now on, like a permanent solo entrepreneur because of that experience? Did you get burned um, as a result of that in terms of partnerships? Mm. I've had co-founding teams since then, and I've worked with other people since then, but I do prefer to work on my own. And I'm not sure if that is tied to that experience. I mean, it could be. So what else has come out of some of your um, experiences of failure? I mean, you listed off a bunch, and um, and I think it, it's helpful to hear the individual lessons that you've gotten, um, or the maybe not even lessons, but just the way that you've changed as a result of some of these experiences. Yeah, so um, one of them was I, I went to law school for about six months, and then I dropped out. And I dropped out because going to law school taught me that I don't want to to be in a traditional career. And I knew that if I kept on going down the path I was going, I could get a good job, make a lot of money, and be safe and secure. And I just had this moment where I thought, I, I don't want to do that. I don't necessarily want to be safe and secure because that's not going to make me happy. So it was, it, was, it was realizing that even though it was a great career move and even though a lot of people want to get into law school, it wasn't right for me if I couldn't be happy doing what I did. And I was thinking at the time, hey, in 10 years, do I want to wake up and still be doing this? And the answer was no. Hmm. Now I ask that myself all the time. You know, if if I'm going to start any project, I think, hey, in five years, if I wake up on a winter morning and it's raining and it's cold like it is today, will I still want to be doing this? So you lay out five year plans essentially. Um, yeah, well, not necessarily plans, but just like I imagine myself in five years, and I think, am I going to be happy? Got it. And then, do you have moments of inflection throughout that period to decide? You know. In reality, were you happy? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. I try to ask myself that as often as I can. Am I happy doing this? Am I enjoying myself? And you know, that, I think I mentioned this before, my lottery test. That's kind of something I talk about a lot. Yeah. If, if I wouldn't be doing something, if I won the lottery, then there's no point in doing it. So, you know, like if I won the lottery, I'd still be blogging, so I should keep on blogging. Or if I won the lottery, I'd still be helping startups and giving people advice. So I should, I should keep on doing that. So do you think that there's a day where you no longer get joy out of Medium, you no longer feel like you're making a difference on Medium and you just walk away from it? It's hard to say. I mean, you look at people like John Lennon and Paul McCartney. At, some, at one point in their career, both of them gave up making music for a bit because they couldn't do it anymore and they hated it. Uh, if any, and you think if artists like that hated what they did and hated the work they did creatively, the rest of us are probably going to experience that at some point too. Right. Absolutely. I mean, I'm open to experiencing that if it happens, but I kind of figure I'll worry about that when I get to it. Do you think that to be good at failure, you have to be comfortable in uncertainty? 
I think to be good at failure, you have to be resilient. You have to be able to take punches and keep on going. I'm not sure you have to love uncertainty or anything like that, but you've got to be able to take a few knockouts. Yeah, because it seems like you've um, you've had a lot of experiences where you've been able to reinvent and start again. And I wonder if that takes a particular disposition or if that can be something that you can learn. It takes being really stubborn. So yeah. I'm a very stubborn person. And you know, when someone tells me no, I hear yes. In certain circumstances, put it that way. So if someone says you're going to fail, I kind of hear a challenge. So what does your five-year plan look like now? Or your not plan, but your five-year rundown? Sure. So, I mean, I have the spreadsheet open right now, actually. Of um, course you do. Yeah, of course I do. <laughs> Read off the spreadsheet for me. Let me get some actual details. Sure. So this year I'm supposed to get a tattoo because I haven't done that yet, um, <laughs> which is kind of one weird thing on the list. But in the next four years, I want to have um, moved over to the States. That's that's on the on the five-year plan. Um, proposed to my partner is on there. Reach 50,000 followers on Medium. Mm-hmm. Um, learn boxing. That's something I want to do. Um, publish a book. Found a communications practice. There's a whole lot of different things. Where did these ideas come from. So when you add something new to that spreadsheet, is that happening at two in the morning when you can't sleep? Or is that happening? Are you sitting down to act to actively try to figure out, okay, what do we want to do? When I started the spreadsheet, I sat down for an entire afternoon and just wrote down everything that I wanted to have happen. But since then, it's been pretty spontaneous. So, you know, I'll think of something in the shower or I'll think of something while I'm jogging and I'll put it on the list, you know. I, I sit down every morning and review that spreadsheet every single day. That's why it's open right now in front of me, um, just to keep all the stuff in my mind. And, you know, I'll think of things and I'll put them on. So on par, you have made countless decisions in your life. You've gone countless different directions. How do you grade yourself in terms of uh, how you're doing uh, kind of on your, your overarching idea for wh- where you want to be in life? Sure, I'd give myself about a C plus. I reckon that's kind of my the grade I'd give. I reckon I'm I'm doing well. I'm accomplishing the things I want to do, and I'm enjoying myself. I'm having a great time. I know there's definitely problem areas. I'm often not focused enough, and I can waste a bit of time here and there. Um, I do get pretty bad anxiety sometimes, and that really delays my work. And I mean, I'm dealing with that too. So I'd say I'm doing pretty well. I'm happy with where I'm at. But there's room to grow. All right, John Westenberg, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. Um, We really appreciated getting to hear your story. We will continue to read your content. Um, And if anybody is interested, uh, it it won't take much to find him because he's very often on the the front (laughs) stream of Medium, but it's John Westenberg on Medium. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, Growth Show listeners. We want to know what you think of our show please leave your feedback as an iTunes review. 